Hey, how are you guys? This is episode 22. Uh, we've really been enjoying doing these, and we thank you for coming and watching. And um, uh, do tell your friends, let everyone know. Um, we've, uh, we've gained a lot of subscribers, and we're very thankful for that and grateful. Uh, but we've kind of stalled on the new subscribers. So tell your friends, tell them to come on down and check us out. Uh, it's the Pooch and Rabled show. Um, do it. Uh, what do you want to talk about, Chris? Let's do band and track today. Band and track. And how do you manage, uh, those things? And also, uh, maybe the politics of that too, right? Absolutely. Like, yeah. Because it's not just about the deciding about the, you know, um, how to negotiate making a, um, a playback drum kit work with a live drum kit is its own problem, but also there's the deciding what instruments uh, you can fight for or not fight for <laughs> in that situation. But um, let's start off with uh, kind of just your overall philosophy of, you know, when, when given uh, track and band, um, what's your thoughts on that? Do you lean to the live? Do you lean to the track? Like what, you know, speak to that a little bit. Yep. I, <clears throat> ideally, and I feel like the righteous answer here is that the two should live together to make a whole, you know? Um, and you, you spoke about the politics and we'll get into some of that. There's, there's a lot of camps that want you to be usually there. They want, they want the album. They want, they want it track heavier. If you're in pop music or R and B or something like that, hip hop, and they only want a sprinkling of band or then you'll get, the acts that don't do a lot of track that have sort of begrudgingly just found themselves in this new era and they don't really know how much they want that track in there. Really the way to make it work is we're there to mix all sources, whether it's a band or a track or it doesn't matter what it is. And we're supposed to get, put it together as a whole. That's right. I can, you know what I mean? Um, I can tell you that my, my pride and my ego wants to do as much as I can from my creation. Okay. You know what I mean? Now those tracks, depending on what state you get them in, they, they might become your creation if they're right. really up to par right off the bat. But um, I like to feel that I am a little band heavier, but if it's not serving the song, don't do that, you know? Right. So um, nobody wants to do karaoke. Nobody wants to be a glorified karaoke DJ. We all want to mix, you know? Right, right. But they should all live together to make the message come across as, as one. That's, that's sort totally of agree. Awesome. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, that is, that is the ultimate end of this is what you're trying to achieve is just that. Um, I am uh, definitely of the school of wanting to lean to the live uh, as much as I can. And I try to drag acts along with me like, hey, you know, and give them examples like, you know, hey, check this song out where this is track heavy and this is the way that I think maybe if we tuck the tracks, it would feel, you know, have more impact live. And there is quite a bit of uh, negotiation, for lack of a better word, um, with whoever's in charge. So whoever the musical director is or, who, or maybe it's the artist, um, I 
have a lot of those discussions in rehearsals, uh, you know, like, Hey, you know, come in my room and check out this version and see what you think. Um, and I'll have artists, uh, like Jay-Z for instance, um, who you would think would want it to be super track heavy, right? Like he wants it to be, you know, sound like the record, which is all hip hop, you know, um, and it's absolutely not what he wants. What he wants is the other way. He wants it to feel live. Uh, and, and in fact, he hires, you know, uh, there's nine guys in his band. You know, he wants that live vibe. And when I get an artist like that, that's really awesome. Uh, that's what I love because um, it's creation, right? Um, but um, so, I mean... What's your experience in that? Have you have you had those kind of talks with MDs and how's it gone and what, you know? Oh, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Um, you know, when you were mentioning that, what the artist wants, what the vibe is, this or that, I was thinking of earlier this year, which how crazy it is, is it's June, and this is one of the few gigs I've done this year, but uh, at the Grammys, I was there with Alicia, and I think we just did one song. Yeah, we just did the one song she was hosting, and uh, it was like it was her new single, you know, which it often is, like an award show kind of thing. And, um, you know, what I love doing, like in that scenario, we had access to all the tracks. We had everything. So before I even said it, um, the drummer that was there was like, yo, can I get that kick? Like to take the kick from the tracks, put it in his SPD, and he'd play it. Even though that's a sample that he's playing, I love that too. Like I love pulling, you know, I just love pulling anything out of the track, but I got to be honest with you. I understand the argument to keep it in the track because he can miss a hit. He can, he can fuck it up. He can, the machine can this or that as could the playback rig, but however, he could hit it in the wrong time. I understand. And she was very, she wasn't privy to this so much as came in on it. Listen to what was going on. Then later, through a sort of circumstances, she anyway the tr the kick ended up in the track, and I can't say she's wrong for that. You right. know, um, I think I think that everyone in this day and age, everyone is scared to not have it like sound like the record. You know what I mean? Right. Like no mistakes. That you know, in this world that we live in with auto tune and you know all these kind of things, I think a go to for an artist is automatically to if there's a choice to be make the decision the safe choice you know what i mean to be like okay and that sounds like that was an example of that it, it was now i can't say that now given that's this her new single at the grammys you know what play it safe there i understand sure. I, I can't say that later on and i haven't worked with alicia at the time so we have a a cordial nice relationship but not like i have not nearly as deep as i have with some of my clients i can't say that later in the year or whenever that we couldn't have been like, can we just, can we play this? Are you cool yeah. with that? And then come tour time, it might not have been okay. Um, and that sort of speaks to something you'll find a lot is if there is a lot of track, if there's a lot of track to where the track could stand on its own, which is a nightmare to admit. It, it's it is. That's the 100% the wrong way. By the it way, is. if you're a musician watching this or an MD watching this, 100% wrong way to do this is to have the record playing and a band playing over the top of it. Yeah, there should be a scroll across the bottom of the screen right now that says we absolutely <laughs> feel the band and the track should live together. Don't make them 
don't flam, don't put in good. Yeah. But the, the fact of the matter is it does happen a lot. And yes. a lot of times what you'll find is you'll find an act where the principal artist, the he or the she, a lot of times is only hearing that track in their ears. So you can't you can't pull anything out of it because I that's know. all they're listening to. The, the band is, even if the MD has done everything in their power to make the band really matter, they're just kind of a prop for the artist. So that's, a, that's where this is a multifaceted topic is how much can you get away with pulling out. So sometimes you can't. So for instance, what I did with, in the situation of the Alicia thing, um, the kick was loud. It was a sampled kick and it was loud and it mattered. Right. Um, I simply, we didn't take my rig into there, so for the show it really didn't matter, but when we were making mixes and we were sending them to other artists that were going to sit in and we're, you know, feeling it out, I actually side-chained, he still wanted to, the drummer still wanted to hit something, so he was hitting his live kick, and I just side-chained it and ducked it, because to be honest with you, the kick that mattered in the song was the, was the program kick. In, right. In the track, you know. Totally so I'll, I'll make those decisions, and, and, uh, yeah, and so I guess I mean, you could probably speak to that too, particularly when you start getting into with drums is the hardest because of the flam. Other, other sections of the musicality of the song, you've got a little more leeway, but man, when you've got the big swampy pad in the track and the guy doubling it too, like what do you do in those situations? Uh, it's tough, man. It really is. Um, but I, in, in all places like that, especially... Um, impulse things like drums you, you can't have both so you got to decide which is going to survive and if it's an important piece like what you're talking about with you know hey this kick drum sound is important you can't have it in two places certainly with a live guy versus a track because you're going to get all kinds of timing problems it's not even so much about the two different sounds of those things not at all it's the yeah. song it's the phase relationship. Phase relationship and the flaming that happens live versus the track. Um, so, and, and unfortunately, um, I've been forced to have to have it that way. You know what Which I mean? So, what? so then the only other decision is to eliminate the live one, right? At that point, if they are absolutely sold on the fact that they got to have that kick drum or got to have that snare drum that's in the in the playback then the only solution to keep it from sounding shitty and flammy is to lose the live guy which sucks but i mean that's that is really the only solution around those kind of things so i i think in this topic at least for me it's not even really a sound thing it's about the negotiation that has to happen to decide what goes really it's like who's which which is gonna go is it gonna be the guitar that's on the track or is it the live guy one of them's got to go and and um the trying to put them together is what i'm talking about when i've had a lot of situations where i've actually asked mds to come and listen because i want to show them what happens when you have that live guitar and you have the tr the guitar that's in the track what happens to that it gets so schmeary and not even definite defined anymore mm -hmm. um and most of the time not all the time most of the time they hear what you're talking about and it makes the decision for them yeah um you know 
have you, you've experienced that as well. Same kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. And you know, and sometimes it, there again, it goes back into if, if there's a principle that's only listening to those things, you're yeah. stuck. But then, but then but, it's on you to make that decision on how you deal with it. But uh, to, to, sorry, to answer your question, yes, many, many, many times. If I've got an MD or an artist in an MD that will work with me, we'll, 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 we'll listen and, and make that. That's, again, that, there's that scrolling thing again. The way to do it is, yes. is that's, that's the way to do yeah. it. Now, yeah. to get around what you're talking about where, you know, the artists are the only thing that they're listening to, the solution that I've done in the past, and it's not an easy solution and it's not a great solution, which is to take every stem that you can get a hold of and break it all out so that it's all a part in a mass amount of playback. So now normally when you're, you're talking about maybe, you know, 12 inputs of playback. So you have, you know, drums and bass and guitar and keys and whatever, and, and you work within the parameters and, and, I've spent a lot of time with artists making sure that those stems are right. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. But when I'm talking about an artist that wants to have all the recorded things, wants it to be the record in their ears, then you have to break things out so that, you, so that I get the opportunity to pull that kick drum out and use the live one. Right. Um, you know, if it's part of a stem, then I don't have that ability. Um, so in my experience and you tell me because you've had a lot of this experience too, um, that was really the only way I could get around that kind of shit was it's all the stems are from the recording guy. They're the record. So when you put all of those stems together, when the monitor engineer takes 32 inputs worth of playback and puts all of those faders to zero, it basically becomes the record and right. then he can send that to, to, uh, him or her. Um, but then what that allows me on the front part of that is to decide about things that should be live versus whatever. It makes me the decision maker. Yep. Um, have you been in that kind of experience or? Yeah. And I think that too, again, what's the ultimate answer is to stem it out as much as you can and to make sure nothing's fighting. If you can do both of those, you're in really good shape. Um, but then, but, you but I, but I think we should point out like, I hear about guys all the time that, uh, yeah, there's uh, 72 inputs of playback, you know, mm -hmm. there's a point where that gets dumb, right? Yeah, like you sure. should, you should be combining things to bring yeah. down the inputs of, of that. And I only go to a situation where I use 32 inputs, let's say, of playback in those special situations where the artist needs to hear the record and uh, I need to make decisions about what not to have at front of house. That's really the only time when I say to a playback guy, hey, I think we can use 32 inputs. The rest of the time, I literally am saying to somebody like, let's do it, you know, maybe 10 to 12, maybe 14 inputs. You know? Right. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. What, how about you? I mean, what do you, what's, what is it for you? Yeah. You know, I've, I was trying to think of what's the most I've ever made it to. <clears throat> um, I think including like click slate time code and that sort of stuff, I think 24 channels total of playback is the most I've ever made it to. Um, I made it, I made it to 32 once and I was like, this is ridiculous. It, yeah. You know, yeah, because I, I, I'm with you. I mean, I'd rather, and if you do it right, you don't have to, to 
to break it out quite that heavily. But, um, uh, you it, know, in that particular instance, for me, it was because uh, it was how the artist's engineer or assistant or whoever built the stems, uh, that's how they broke it out. So mm-hmm. I could have then took those 32 inputs of stuff and then made my own stems from it. But I was afraid that if I started doing that, then the monitor engineer wouldn't have any options right. for her. So um, anyway, that you know, you, you have to figure that out. There's a, a, a line it, that you walk there. It, there is, and it looks different. And, and again, let's just assume it's a situation where you have a say. And I realize a lot of people we're talking to here, you, your tracks are either a two-track or at most it's drums left, right, music left, right, vocals left, right. We know that. I get yeah. Lincoln Park when they first started was uh, an iPod and it was a left side click and right side mono playback totally. of all their stuff. <laughs> yeah. So so we both have Putin I've been there. We know I know what yeah. those look like. And and even that um even that Alicia thing I was talking about, man, we did that super bare bones. Like it was not many channels of playback on that. So um yeah, separating it, separating it out is definitely the way to go, but it does get stupid at a certain point. It just gets to be too much, you know? Um, now, I've had instances where, and we've all run into this, where you do have you do have the drums, and it's everything. It's a full right. And I remember when I, like, when I first, when I made it to track, I think I had done, so again, you got to remember, I'm coming from the, like, the rock jam band sort of side of things. Um and just clubs and everything else. And so, I mean, I think I had done, like, I think I did an MTV2 hip-hop show <laughs> when somehow I did something like that before. That was my first foray, but that was hip-hop. So it was basically just like, and it wasn't like, you know, a lot of hip-hop now. Like, you did Travis Scott. Did you guys have a yeah, band yeah. at all for that? No. It was the no. hardest, hardest four inputs I ever had. Okay, okay. Well, you know how a lot of them now will have like that's you told me that. You know how a lot of them now will have like drums and a keyboard player or something. Right. You know, like this is this was just, this was that. This was Travis Scott. It was just all. So I did track, but it wasn't competing against anything. Where I'm going with this is the next time I encountered it was walking into Lady Gaga rehearsals in 2010 while she's like the biggest star in the world. Right. And I'm walking in going, "What?" You know, and that's when I made it to track. And uh, man, at the beginning, it was rough because I didn't know how to marry. And there, there was nothing was everything was on top of each other. It was very sloppy. It was very much like just throw the whole kitchen sink at them. It was a gigantic band that had a full time harp player and a violin. I mean, it was ridiculous, you know. So I encountered all this stuff and it just sounded fucking horrible to me. And uh, it was funny, though, but this is and this is kind of going on a tangent here. At first, I spent like the first day or two going, "What do they want of me? What? What? How do you do this? What? What? How? What is this?" And the MD kind of got on me. Basically, he was just like, "Man, I'm not digging this," you know. And I remember he said, "And it pissed me off," but I heard the shred of truth in it. And what I did was, I went, "You know what? Fuck this. I'm gonna give them my. I'm gonna mix like me, and I'm gonna work this track in around it." So. For, this was kind of the opposite of what I've said. Now that I know what I know, I would have handled it all totally different. The way I made it work and what made them super happy was I made this aggressive, loud, punchy-ass live sound coupled with their tracks, and they weren't used to that. So they were right. like, whoa, what am I hearing? Right. As time went on, 
uh, and while that MD was still there and the track still stayed kind of just the whole kitchen sink, I then found other ways to do it. Whereas now I probably would have been keeping the track kick somehow in losing the live. What I would do was, and I wasn't triggering this with anything, but I had C6s on all the tracks. And there was a lot. This, that was probably 24. And I would do things like, and it wasn't side-chained anything, but they would literally just like duck the shit out of the low end. Yeah. So I would get my kick, at least the low, it's still flaming, as you know, in the mid-range and the top, but there was elements of me that could come out. And so that's where you start developing those tricks or you know, the keyboard stuff where I also had a keyboard player with eight keyboards, I would be just ducking the shit out of the low mids or something, you know, totally, I was just, totally, totally. just carve and it's unnecessary. I now realize how unnecessary that is, but in those situations, it's a way to get by, you know, it is, um, you know, like we've talked about in all of these videos, you do what you have to do, right? So when you're given, um, you know, when you're given lemons, you make lemonade, you know, I hate that saying, but it's, it's what you do, right? Like, you know, it's funny that you say that even with that Jay-Z thing, um, you know, and Jay wanting it more live, the stems that I was given are, you know, it, it was drums, but it was all of them in a left and yep. a right, uh, including like 808s, you know, and, and, you know, big low end hits and all this kind of stuff that the drummer was also playing pads of, so it was, it was crazy, and it, I did exactly how you handled it. Uh, literally, there was a C6 on every stem, Yep. Uh, and they were, it wasn't safe. It changed drastically from song to song, not only in EQ, but how it was going to compress. Um, and I would do exactly what you did, which was, you know, hey, if there's a part of this song that's got a huge 808 in the track, I'm going to let the C6 just squash the hell out of it, and the live C6 yep. or, or the live 808 that he's hitting on the pad is going to be the thing. Yep. You know? um, yeah, man. I mean, you, you do what you got to do, right? When you're handed, you know, four tracks of stuff, <laughs> that's, right. that's a way around it. Is, is there other things that you do, um, you know, to yeah. get around that? Well, I was trying, I, I bet I'll think of some other tricks, so to speak. I mean, first of all, I will, conversely, if there's a critical, mission critical track, and there's a player doing something that's uh, extraneous, that's really just to justify him being on stage, I'll duck the shit out of him, you know, like whatever needs to do, particularly if that's the thing that needs to matter. And, um, you know, I, I'm totally the guy that's just like, you suck, you're done. Mute. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. Whatever it takes to clean it up. I mean, forget about it. I, uh, you know, but some things I'll do, you know, I was thinking to myself, uh, you know, the, the track layout, once you get past two tracks or drums, music, vocals, and you, it gets larger. And let's say you have some say in it, it looks different everywhere. Like all of my acts will look different. Like on Bruno, we started doing this thing. When I got there, there was just keys, and I as one of the one of the sub down things. And then I separated it out to where we now have keys one and keys two. Keys one are for bass level texture pads, organ like stuff like that. Keys two are signature sounds. Keys right. two is something that if they can only hear three sounds to identify the song. That's where it goes. And if you remember on that Bieber thing, there was something, God, I can't remember how we did it, but I ended up, we separated something out where there was like a vocal effects stem. Like a yes. lot of times 
effects is one. And I was like, on that one, I was like, you know what? That's not enough. We need effects and then we need vocal effects. Yeah, that's right. But I don't do that on Bruno. I have the effect, you know, and on Bruno, I have this thing called the aux. I call it the bus, not a bus or track, but the, the aux. And it's like any extraneous. Anything that doesn't fit in the other stems. Yeah. It's going in that. It's yeah. going in that. And it's usually living by itself. Yeah. Like I'll yeah. tell you right now, when we start Uptown Funk, do, yeah. do, 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 right. do, it's coming down the aux and it's fucking jacked. And I've got a boost at like one six. So there's <laughs> no way you can't hear it, yeah. you know? Because it's so a it looks, thing. Yeah. It's a thing. And you learn your act and you figure out like, you know, I imagine if I had a bunch of track guitars, I'd want to separate those because that's the hardest is how do you even eat, you know, you've got three guitars and a bus. That's just a ball of shit right there. Oh, you know? man, it's, it's hard, yeah. So what I do, I do very similar to what you do, but I, if I'm given the chance to kind of break out stems, like what we're talking about, um, you know, into, let's say, eight inputs of stuff, I start thinking about things EQ wise for me. So I say, okay, this stem is all low end information stuff. This stem is, um, Oh, that's cool. Do you know what I mean? So it's I've like, I never even thought about doing that. That's, that's real. I get that. So, uh, in other words, I'll have maybe two stems that are drums, but I take all the kick drums and the 808s and all that stuff are, I try to scooch them to the low end, Mm -hmm. stem and then uh you know and then i might have like a sparkly bits in regards to the you know the keyboard parts and you know all those kind of thing anything that has that kind of information in it i put it in that stem so that the processing is specific to sparkly things mm -hmm. if that makes sense on it that does. bus so rather than for me if i'm given a low amount of stems to work in i actually think in the eq way rather than the instrument way um you know i mean you know keyboards are with keyboards and you know that kind of stuff but but i i, I do really like if there's a guitar that's really super high indie and a keyboard that's super high indie it goes into my sparkly bits uh you know uh thing and they're two different instruments so I really do when I'm given a low amount of um, of stems. I, I think of it that way in in EQ. If that makes sense. You know the name Michael Brower. I do. Yeah, you know that's like his, similar his multibus process. The way he does his albums, where he buses things kind of in frequency grouping. Yes. Um, that's that's really smart. I hadn't really I never really thought to do that. Yeah, because when I was talking about ducking that kick drum, well, there was some like cool drum i mean i may have been ducking from not like 80 and down. i might have been like 160 and down totally. and so there was some drum stuff that's getting lost while i'm doing that so if you can move that stuff around um yeah that that's a that's a great way to do it um, yeah it's just something um i actually started doing it with lincoln park um because there was this evolution that happened with lincoln park before i was there it was literally a uh you know left side click right side mono mix mm -hmm. of that when I showed up, I think they were doing, God, I can't remember, but it was, it was small. It was like maybe four inputs, right. um, you know, of playback. Like they had broken it from the, from the iPod thing into four inputs. Uh, and then when I showed up, um, uh, they got, there was a new playback guy as well. His name was Dylan Eli. And yes. we, we had a big, 
powwow and said, okay, what can we do to make this better and give us more control? Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, it just kind of fell in that way for me. Like I was like, okay, I want, I need a stem that's low end information. I need a stem that has sparkly bits. I need a, a stem that has the, the music. I think I had one that was like, low end stuff. So any bass guitars or 808 information was in that stem. And then there was loops, anything yep. that's got loops. Then there was music, mm-hmm. uh, and then a music sparkle, you know what yep. I mean? So there were, there were two places where I could go, um, to put playback information. And that's another thing is like, um, sometimes I will choose, an opposite stem if I know that I'm going to need control of an instrument that's against another instrument. Yeah. That makes sense. It, it totally, no, it totally does. Yeah. So, um, as you're building the stems and breaking this stuff out, I'm thinking in my own head going, uh, I know that probably in some situations that keyboard is going to be difficult to manage. Mm-hmm. I want separate control of that keyboard versus it being in a stem with all the rest of them. Yep. Totally. Um, so I, you know, those are all like thought processes. If you're allowed the time, if, if you're allowed. And again, we yeah. realize a lot of people are just getting what they're getting and totally get you it. know what, if you're at a club and it shows up and somebody shows up and they're like, here's our playback music, drums, music, vocals, yep. or whatever, just well, it sucks as it changes song to song, but Man, just grab the EQ and dig holes where you need it to Do make that. And I, I almost always, if I'm given that situation where I show up where the the uh, playback is, you know, two, two or four tracks, um, everything gets a C six, and yeah. it is in constant flux, kind of it's trying moving. to fix what's happening. Yeah, um, just to try to get more of a linear thing, because always it's not just that all those things are together in playback it's that they're usually mixed poorly <laughs> that's true because stem, yes yeah, stems means a lot of different things when you get the if you get stems from someone it could mean all of the raw tracks bust together not at all mixed you know what i mean it totally. could mean everything going it just stems what it's tough to stems can mean a lot of different things and it's rarely done by the engineer unless they have like a staff engineer it's a lot of times an assistant who's just has all of these stems they got to do and they're just banging them out late at night yeah you know um and then particularly and, and if you by need the way visions. yeah go ahead sorry i was just gonna say if you're hopefully you have a good relationship with that person sometimes they're on the road with you nowadays but you know, and you've got to call them up like, hey, man. And sometimes it's not a hey, man. Sometimes it's like, who is this person? It's this nameless person. And here you're this front of house guy they don't know. They know nothing about live sound. And they've got to go back and make some stem for you. Like, they're not super stoked to be doing it, you know? No, no they're not. <laughs> you know? Um, you know, and the hardest part about stems that are coming from uh, the record is all of that, you know, who knows who's doing it and whatever. It's at the end of the night after everyone's left. But the real deal nowadays for me is when you start breaking out stems out of a record, now you're not getting the bus processing that's happening on those things. And that's what I mean. So, yeah, so like stems could be really the way I'd like to have it done, and people disagree on this. Process it through whatever their bus is. And then I like the stereo bus too. Like I want it sent because that way it adds together. Totally prop- get it. 
And yeah. some people don't want that last bit of processing. And I'm like, no, that matters, particularly if there's any sort of like normalizing or leveling or compressing because it's going to pull it up. Otherwise, you'll, you're just getting, it's not going to sound, it, it will never sound the same. To what yeah, that's right. So if I can have a conversation with that guy, I say the, exactly the same thing that you just said, which is, hey, man, when you're making these stems, I need it to go through your master bus. I don't want you to make a stem of that keyboard bus, which has its own processing on it, and bounce it from just that. I want the final output mm -hmm. of it. And I've actually had a, um, a friend of mine go, uh, like he, it was like an aha moment for him yeah. you know, when I said that. Um, but, but even at that, it's the effect of the master bus compression is happening because of all of it, not, not just because of that one stem that you're sending that, through. And that so, path, so it might not, even if you send it through it, it's not moving the same it way. It may not, yeah, it may not move in the same way. So any way you look at it, when you break things out in stems, the combination of them coming back together, um, you know, I still have to do stuff. It's not like you, you know, you put everything up at zero or whatever. And all of a sudden it's, it's the record really it's mm -hmm. close, but right. it's not, it doesn't have all of that processing. So you just need to be aware of that. Right. Uh, I'm thinking as you're talking here about <clears throat> now suddenly, of course, there's a million things coming to mind. And I was thinking, you know, one of the things that's really cool is when you have a relationship with the programmer or the pro tools guy and you get some new, new tracks and they know you're on the same page. They'll be like, hey, man, I sent this down, you know, I think about with the Bruno thing. I sent this down keys one. I put this on keys two. I put this on aux. Is that where you want? And it's so great to be in totally. concert with one another. We've taken it a step further uh, in that camp, and I now do this everywhere, whereas I try to match. I try to have a so that negative 10 on their end is negative 10 on my end um, with ideally zero gain, but – Sometimes I've found like in the Bruno rig, which are some Lynx Auroras is what we're coming out. We're still, do, we're still going analog on that for, that's a whole other conversation. But um, <laughs> we might do something different next time. But I've found that negative 10, a full on to the dot, negative 10 dB full scale out of that into the Digico stage rack, I would have to apply 3 dB. Um, and, and that's another thing too to talk about with gain structure with tracks. I don't know about you, I'm assuming I do here, but, um, you know, my thing is those, those, this is super important. Those tracks are all gain the same. Oh, so, absolutely. hundred percent. But you know what, man, you'd be surprised how many people don't do this. And that's when I started to say it. I'm like, I know you do this. If, if all of your tracks are not gain the same, you're all, you, the programmer, the artist, no there's, there's no, no reference. reference. Yeah. So when you see somebody that's done that has that different, then you're not speaking the same. You're not talking about the same song. You're not talking about the same tracks because they're relative to nothing. Right. So I think that's an important important part point to make there is have that. But we've even done it where on the Bruno thing, and of course this is a standard, and you know rules are made to be broken. So sometimes things change, but by default, I'll have when we get new tracks, the drums, whatever the loudest part in the drums are. And in that one, we have like drums left, right, perk left, right, and nothing flams in that. We'll have snares and claps. I'm okay with that, uh, but no, no kicks or anything. But so that's as far as we go in there. But the the, the Ersten uh, Hurwitz is my is our programmer there. Fantastic. Uh, he knows to have those drums hit at negative ten. 
So like we have it standardized. So it's not this right. big mystery when tracks come in. Totally. What are we going to do with them? So he knows to take the drum tracks, trim them to where the loudest hit is at negative 10, and then everything else gets trimmed appropriately. And I tell you, nine times out of 10, it is a just push it up. And then we'll fine tune from there. Of you know, course, of course. If we have a dance break or it's something all by itself, that thing's probably close to zero because it's the whole song, you know? So anyway, something to note. No, that's a great example. Um, yeah, and it's always something that we should say, um, you know, when we're talking about uh, making adjustments, we, we the zero point or the, the point, you have no reference if you don't gain all of your things the same. Like I get that you look at something, you get you get some tracks together, you look at something and something is way low and it needs to come up. I don't gain that channel. I go back to the source just oh, like always. you would with an instrument. So always. go back to the playback guy and be like, okay, that one little thing, we got to fix that thing because I'm – and then – I have that reference. Like everything is gained the same. So that I now know that when he fixes it, how much he needs to go to fix it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's conversation with the playback guy, as opposed to, you know, you doing combat audio and like trying to get it. Now, you know, I get it guys. Like if you're in a situation where uh, it's, it is what it is and you're just getting whatever. I mean, I have literally been in combat audio situation where it's like, uh, you know, I'm <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, playback, yeah. not playback. Oh my God, this is too loud. And, and reaching for gains and doing whatever it takes, you know, to, to get through it. But if I'm going to have to do it again after one show, we're having a discussion. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I make part of my, um, in rehearsals, if it's a, if it's a long rehearsal period, a big thing, and this is like knowing how to read the room, knowing when to, when to, when is the right time to talk. Like if the artist is there, do they want to hear this yapping? Are you in their ears? Not, but I mean, I, it is such a routine part of my world. When we get some new, when we get some new tracks, we'll we'll put it where we want it. We'll check it. We'll make sure it's good. And then as we start rehearsing, for me to just lean in there real quick and let's say I'm talking about my buddy Erston with Bruno or something like, hey Erston, can you give me two on the ARP on keys two? Boom. Totally. Just just find that opening and conversation and say it. And I can tell you too, on a political level, that can kind of be a good look because it's a little, it shows you mean business. It yeah, shows this, guy, this guy's paying attention. He's, you know, yes. yeah. yeah. Now the other move might be to make those notes go back later if it's a more, but, but I by and large, I don't, I don't do that. I, mm -hmm. I am the same as you. In fact, I take it a step further sometimes and walk out of my room in rehearsals and mm -hmm. walk into the main room and walk over to the playback guy for yep. that very reason to yep. make a statement like, Hey, I'm walking over here and there's something that really needs to change. Yeah. You know, later on the MD or the artist will always come to me and say, Hey man, I saw you like walk in there and do right. And, and that opens up the, the right kind of discussions. Yeah. And like, I'll, yeah. To, and I'll always have the, the playback person again, this is on a tour, not a yeah. throw. We're talking uh, about when we have long rehearsals and we have right. time. I mean, we, and guys, we know we're blessed and we're grateful for that. Totally. Um, we're just trying to give you when you have that opportunity, this is maybe how you should work in your workflow. Yep. And if that person can't have near fields at their workstation, I often don't even times require that. But I will ask that they always have some means of playing back where I don't have to walk in with ears or cans because I know the sound I'm looking for. 
and I can take a less than stellar representation of that through some little Fostex. Right. Go in like we're sitting there, we're looking at the track, and I'm I'm going, no, that one, that one, play that. Okay, play it in context. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's the one I want. Up three. Yep. You no. Know? Yep. So. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, what about you know what this is? This is a good segue. What about um, if if you're going to get tracks with anything on it? A lot of times it's going to be vocals. It's going to be background vocals. And I know people have asked a lot about that. We should probably talk about how we handle background vo- track vocals, live background vocals. Let's do, back- let's do backgrounds. Let's do that. I guess we could get into leads too. But um, what, what, do you have a, what do you have a general philosophy on that? Or Man, it's funny. Uh, unless the band is amazing. Um, I tend to think just the opposite about uh, yeah, yep. playback of vocal mm-hmm. um, versus live because, um, you know, the vocal, if it's a big, lush, you know, background vocal stuff, you just can't get that out of the three guys that are, are singing, you know. That are um, singing and are singing on open vocal microphones yes, in a lot of environment. Everything else in it and, yeah, you know, all that yep. stuff. Now, I will say, like, you know, I did Michael McDonald and all of the band, including the drummer, sang background vocals and there wasn't any playback. So I didn't even have the option. It's, you know, the band was playing live. So I didn't have an option, but I will tell you, if I had had the option, I would have kept the live ones because they were just stellar. I mean, you know, six really good musicians singing is, um, a better option if you if you have it but that's almost i mean that is not the norm that is totally like you know the one percent um so i um and man i've been there i've been in a couple situations where you know people come in and listen to it or or they're on my ass about board mixes of like yeah the you know more more of the live background vocals you know and i always just go man it makes me want to be the guy that like solos that track up and ships it to him. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yep. But but I don't do that because that's the wrong thing to do, guys. You don't want to. In fact, this is a great time for a story, but I'm not going to tell you what artist it is or what <laughs> what front of house guy it was or any of that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, I, I've heard stories of guys doing that kind of stuff. Like, shipping something that sounds horrible to the artist or to the musical director and guys i'm here to tell you that is absolutely the wrong thing to do any time you hand anything to anybody management md artist be proud of it make sure that it's stellar and make sure that it's killer because that will be your demise quicker than you know yep um, and so you're, I've heard you're handing them your reference, you're handing exactly. your, your work, even yeah. if you're trying to make a point, it won't, you're just, no, it won't. They will, the, what they will hear first is, boy, this sounds like shit. I mean, that's our sound guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you're handing them a CD with the purpose of saying, Hey boy, this background vocal is not that great, dude. You need to, it's, it's higher in the mix so you can hear that it's bad. They won't hear that. What they'll hear is the mix of it mm-hmm. and say well this sounds shitty why is this guy our sound guy yep um so man don't ever do that and it happens all the time a big gigs have been lost 
Yeah. Uh, now, conversely, if you have a good, and this is what you were talking about earlier on in the video, if you have a good relationship with the MD or someone, you can pull them aside by actively. Here's a pair of headphones. Here's a pair of headphones, or Check this out. Yeah. or I'm just gonna quickly push it, or you know, where it's not, it's a fleeting moment in time. Yeah. They Don't can, ever record that. But, Don't do that. <laughs> but solo it up and say, hey, dude, check this out to a guy that you trust that you know he's not going to anybody else, uh, you know, and, and has power to change it, you know, so like the MD or whatever. But you have to have a relationship with that dude in order to do that, right? Like you can't, you know, it could be you're showing up on a gig and you don't have that relationship with the MD. I am not going to do that in the first two days of rehearsal. No. <laughs> not not nope. a chance. Um, so it, again, it's like you said, you know, reading the room. Um, so I've talked a lot about it. Sorry. Uh, you tell us what your, what's your score on, on background vocals and, and how you handle it. And no, honestly, I could say, just see what Pooch just said. I mean, my, <laughs> what I, what I see in my, well, first of all, yeah, it's so rare that you have vocalists that are going to beat the track, let alone compete with it. And even if they can, we can't we talk about noise floor and how much you can get away with your vocals i can't put eight compressors on them and i just i can't bring i can't do that sound and amplify it without all hell breaking loose on the quietest of stages and destroying uh, your mix because and, of it yeah right and so and oftentimes too if it's like a breathy part like that a breathy part doesn't come with a lot of vocal push like they're going to have to inherently sing lower so there's yeah. something that just it's just going to be a mess. So I, too, lean heavily. The way I think of it is I'll lean on the backgrounds, the track, and then I, to keep us honest, I like to say I want the live vocals to bubble up every so often just to, just to keep it honest. You know, yeah. I don't want full track. The other thing, too, to keep in mind is a lot of time with those background vocals, you know, the backgrounds are often coming in on the hook. Yeah. So that's the hook. And that if it's if it's an audience, it's a big song. I mean, that's that's what they know is the hook. So I do want I do want it to sound as pristine and as wonderful as it can. And I don't care if that part sounds a little tracky. Um, I kind of feel like it's supposed to, you know. And a lot of times, what we're calling backgrounds might have the lead buried in there too. You know, there's a lot of artists that like they they technically they don't sing the track, but the choruses they do you know what i mean where it's yeah. not this background so there's a lead in there also so totally man that happens and, all the time yeah and when the artist knows that a lot of times they kind of take a breather on the on they the, do oh, don't they yeah they i've do. experienced that a lot yeah i've even told told vocalists this when they're not sure uh how they want to handle tracks or anything i'll be like can i just go on to my own experience which has been with a number of different acts that have done this i'm like you know what particularly if they're active and they're moving a lot i'm like Use that chorus to kind of take a breather. Let's let's yeah. put your lead in there. I'll keep you honest. I'll keep you in there enough, but maybe that's your chance to catch your breath. Chance you to know? catch your breath. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. great. That's good stuff. Um, you know, the other thing that I wanted to say too, specifically about backgrounds, when I don't have playback, when I am have six open microphones, I don't let those six open microphones sit there in my mix all the time. I learn when they sing during rehearsals, like when are the parts, when are they singing? And literally I have, I'll put it on a control group, all six microphones on a control group. And those are never open unless all six are singing, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. um, so I do spend 
uh, a bunch of time uh, making sure that when I'm in that situation with a lot of open microphones, they're not just sitting there in my mix. That's the quickest way to destroy your mix. It's just something I thought about as you were talking. Yeah, that is for sure. I'll have them both. I'll have a Neve 5045 or a PSE or something over them and automated. Yes. In other words, they're still muted even with that other layer of protection in there. Yes. Just because that is such a quick way to trash your mix is to leave totally those. Is. <clears throat> excuse me, is to leave those open. Kind of on the tail end of this, and I know that we've talked about like you know the processing lead vocal processing, um, but let's throw leads in there too because we've both worked for artists where there is a ghost vocal. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm uh, sworn to secrecy. I can't tell you who, what artists have, you mm -hmm. know, recorded vocal and what don't, but I mean, you know, come on, people know it these days. Um, you know, what was that whole uh, controversy uh, with Britney Spears, right? You know, uh, everybody talking about how every song was a recorded track and then right. she would just talk in between songs like nothing was live. Um, that's the extreme. But I think that um, there are a lot of artists that utilize um, a ghost vocal that may not be them. In fact, you know, uh, I had an artist where you, I was literally making a decision, spontaneous decision um, as to are they going to sing or aren't they going to sing? That's and the deciding, worst. You know, <laughs> that is the worst. Isn't that sucks. It? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, how do you handle that? How do you, uh, you know, that's the worst case scenario where you're, you're saying, okay, I don't think they're going to sing. I'm going to put the ghost vocal in, but in a regular way with an artist that maybe has kind of a lead vocal track that they like us to use to kind of sweeten their live vocal. Mm -hmm. um, what's your thoughts on that? And, do you use it um, sparingly or is it loud and proud? Well, I've only, most of the times when I have a lead vocal track, it's the vocal. It's not. Now, the modern, and this is a big thing in hip hop, where the guys are essentially just rapping over themselves, you know, and that's almost kind of, even though it sounds fucking horrible. Yes. Kind of like. But that's you, the sound of it that people sound. want. Yes, I know. That, that has become a sound. And that's one where you're kind of okay because you don't have to, you get to choose what the balance is, but it's not like where you're live, track, live, track. So if that's the case, just roll with it, do your best, that's a sound. But usually when it's me, the, the acts that I've worked with, it's just the live track is there to fully take over in the moment. And I can tell you, um, who I consider, I too swarm to secrecy on you know a number of different <laughs> levels, number of different acts. What are we saying with every act? Yeah. Um, the best vocalist I feel I've ever worked with, she used track vocal heavily, and she could have nailed those parts, but she did it because she is so obsessed with perfection. Ah. If she knew that during that part she was going to be doing some sort of dance move that could potentially take away from what her vocal output would be she dropped in track there. And so that was an example, though, of doing it the right way, where we cut all those, vo it wasn't the studio vocal. We cut all those vocal vocals with her mic. 
you know. That's a really important thing, guys. Yes. I've done this a bunch of times myself. Don't use the recorded vocal from the record. It's never going to match and it's never going to sound good. No. If you have to use a recorded vocal, ask the artist to re-sing it. Yep. Have them re-sing it. And uh, I've had people that are like, turn the side fills off. Let's make it quiet. I've had people that are like, leave it on. Let's make it part of the thing. Like there's so many different ways to do it. Um, but yeah, track with that vocal if you can. If you are using the lead vocal from the album, you're busted. You're busted. Totally busted. They're nothing, busted. Nothing you can do to make it sound different. No. People already know. It's not only the sound of it. It's that the fans that have heard that record hundreds of thousands of times can actually spot the sound of that vocal. Absolutely. Absolutely. So here's an interesting thing. On one of those, uh, one of the instances where I had this amazing vocalist, but she used a lot of track. I mean, that was the whole thing coming in there. It's like, you got to get her mutes right and you got to know all the delays. Right. And so the mutes were, and I, I just had to learn them when she sang track, because the deal with this artist though, this was interesting. She didn't start lip syncing when the track came on. She kept going, only she, only she knew it was track and she trusted that everyone had the mutes right so she would sing like an out of breath aerobics instructor. Wow. So God forbid that thing came through the PA, it would have been this huffing, puffing, normal person. So what it was is I had to learn where all the, where all the mutes were and I made up all these spreadsheets and I can't remember, I think I had it where it was highlighted, it meant track or whatever. And so I sat there the whole show with those faders next to one another and I just muted and unmuted and muted and unmuted. Wow. Yeah, it was a fucking nightmare. But it sounded amazing because both vocals sounded amazing, you yeah, know? You but go. it was a lot of pressure. So what they do now and what I see a lot of acts doing is they'll have, with the lead vocal, they'll have this a tone whether it's just a tone or noise or something, you know, and it precedes it ever so slightly so that when the track vocal plays, the guys at front of house or monitors, wherever, are taking that tone, they're keying a ducker or a compressor on the lead, and away it goes. And I know with that act now, that's how it's done. So it's all essentially, they don't have to worry about doing it anymore, you know? I've tried that and didn't have much success. So now, um, mainly because it was an artist that was in front of the PA almost 80% of the time. So the threshold of the ducker would get Uh, triggered sometimes when it wasn't supposed to be, you know? So you'd have misfires. Got it. And, and there's nothing worse than having the lead vocal and the recorded vocal at equal volumes when the ducker right. screws up, you know? Right. Um, so I don't know. Maybe it's a control thing too. Like for me, I'm like, you know, I don't trust that fucking device yeah. to do that, you know? Right. So, um, right. But, right. you know, and in that situation, I was playing whack-a-mole in, you know. Yeah. I, I've actually never done it. When I, that, the, the last time I had to do, I mean, I just haven't been in the situation where I've needed to, but I know that now that's kind of the sign of the times. That's the way that most people are doing it. Is there are a lot of people doing it. We've got that tone that's, that's triggering it. But the way to do it is I, try, I do try to make them match as closely as possible. They usually have the exact same plugins, the exact same whatever. Yep. Yep. They're the same, and it needs to be. They have all the same effects, you know. Yep. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think that is um, um, really good. I think talking about all of this uh, playback versus live in all of these situations, uh, we hope has been uh, helpful to you guys. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's a, 
it's a tough thing, playback versus live, and making the decisions to make all of that work are based upon the situation that you're in. You know, um, if you are forced, which I think probably 80% of you out there that are watching this are forced to use, you know, a two track, um, then really kind of the only way to fix it is what we talked about a dynamic compressor, um, making snapshots that do all kinds of EQ digs um, to force the live stuff to work with that. And it, it's not the most optimum thing, but I got to tell you, I've made it work before and it can be done. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, anyway, hope you guys got a lot out of that. Uh, any last words there, Chris? No, I can say if you're if you're someone listening or you looked at this video and you're like track, I don't do that. I don't need track. I I don't think either of us in a million years ever saw this coming. Nope. And I, I'll just say this: I've got a buddy of mine that's scared of flying. He's one of the biggest monitor engineers in, in the world. He's scared of flying, so what he's done is is he's gotten to where he he does like the little flight simulators on his computer. He yeah. sits by the window. He knows everything there is to know about planes i hate track therefore i have learned everything there is to learn about and i feel so incredibly confident with my process because i hate it so if you think it's not part of your world keep an open mind it very well could be particularly the way that music is going now so oh, it's absolutely i mean you know who would have thought that a rock band that was two guitar players a bass player and a drummer would be using playback but they are that is the sound now um you know these uh for lack of a better word not metal but but rock acts mm -hmm. um are doubling having huge lush beds of guitar playback wise underneath so who would have thought that that's all it so almost you're gonna run into it learn how to deal with it um and um i hope that uh you got a couple of things out of what we were talking about so anyway thanks for coming guys we sure do appreciate it tell your friends make sure you subscribe subscribe button down here push that button <laughs> um and uh we appreciate it guys we'll see you on the next one see you everybody